We'll be in our study of 1 Thessalonians again. We started last week with our introduction and uh, with the understanding that this was uh, Paul's first letter. So it's a very uh, early letter in the New Testament. And we want to uh, uh, carry on in our study and pick up where we left off last week. Before we do... Um, I want to just note a couple of things here for us as a as a group here. It's sure good to have uh, Tracy 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 Nicely's back, and it's so good to have her back from being away. So praise the Lord. And the Becker family has moved from Minnesota. They brought the cold weather with them. Uh, no, they didn't really, but they've moved and and they're in town in, in Fernley now. So. Uh, just uh, get to meet these folks, you know, new folks and all. Um, it's good. All right. Yes. Yeah, so we're not going to talk the, about the election, um, but I will. And here's the thing. The election was important for us all. And um, I know personally speaking, it's important that it causes me to pray more. It ought to be something that causes all of us to pray more. Okay? And there's, if you are really wanting to do that, because that's what we ought to be doing anyway, no matter who is in office. And I am guilty as the next guy about just hanging back and being comfortable in my, in my comfort zone. And when we get riled up, it's like, oh, well, Lord, what's the matter? How come? You know, and, and it's like, my world is being messed up. Don't mess up my world. Well, it's not about my comfort zone getting messed up. It's about glorifying God in your life. Really, if you're saying you're a Christian, when you take time to learn more about Jesus you'll see it's not about you. It's about glorifying God in your life, honoring Him, trusting Him. You don't like what's happened or you like what's happened. Okay, whichever side. The thing is, draw near to God and learn what He's saying in His Word and respond to that. Amen? That's where we need to be. So think of different ways to pray for what's going on. Think of ways to pray that will honor God in this. Okay? I need that encouragement. And you need that encouragement. So, um, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians is about a letter of encouragement. Alright? And it's a letter that has been given to show, you know what, the gospel of Jesus Christ brought about change. It's brought about change. And now we're going to look at it some more here this morning and recognize, you know, I need to learn to trust God for my life about bringing forth change in my life. Change that's in accordance with His Word and His will for my life. I want to do my best to shake you up. I know that's really, that's really the, the spirit of God's job. But here I am. I'm, a, I'm, I'm the spokesperson right now. I'm, I'm the, the waiter. I bring 
forth the Word. Here it is. And I want to say, hey, wake up to this. Wake up to the, the Word of God and the will of God for your life so that there might be a change. Because that's, what, that's the business that Jesus is in. The problem is, we don't like a lot of change. I, you know, we get going in, in things and we just like our routine. The Lord wants to bring about change. So, we're picking it up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at verse 3, 4, and 5 here this morning. Do our best to get through this. There is some uh, a wealth of riches here in this passage. And so, last week we talked about, there, you know, it's about authenticity. Um, if there's truly a... Uh, a recognition of salvation in one's life, then you can go back to, here's what the Word of God says about it being authentic. Are you an authentic Christian? Are you genuinely saved? That's what he's really working at here in trying to communicate it to us and to the church at Thessalonica. And so it started with this idea of, of being connected. Last week we said it has to be authentic connection in God. Number one, in Christ, unified being in Christ. Do you have that assurance that you are in Christ? And that happens not by way of good works. It happens by way of faith. You must believe. And by believing, that brings you into the family of God. So you're first in Christ, and then you're in His church. Those are the two points we talked about last week. And so if you're genuinely connected to His church, if there's really a connection then there's going to be these Christian realities that come forth. Thus, point number two, authentic commission from God. Here's the authentic commission from God. Namely, a trio of Christian virtues. And it's a familiar phrase. We say faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Or uh, faith, love, and hope. Different orders But there's the trio of Christian virtues that really we see in this passage ought to show forth if there's a genuine connection with God, your life ought to be showing forth faith, love, and hope. Okay? So that's what we're looking at. And that's really, that's what we're, um, that's our commission. You're sent forth and here's, here's what it's all about. Here's fruit in your life. And here's, here's the commission to, to go and bear that. God brings that forth and you, you show it. So it starts with the work of faith and it's saving. It's saving. You can fill that in in your outline if you want to use that to follow along. So it's, it's been documented, well documented by Christian writers and commentators and, and professors and et cetera, et cetera, that a true saving faith is always revealed and manifest in how we live our lives. You're saying you're a Christian, then there ought to be a real genuine work of faith showing forth in your life. A true, deep, and saving faith in Jesus Christ is always going to cause a change in one's life. Gone needs to be the thinking that, well, I'm... I'm I believe, I'm saved, but the life doesn't really match 
the confession. That's what the Bible is talking about, folks. And most of you know that. And so it, this becomes another... Here's the challenge. Saying, I want my life to show forth with this alignment. Here's what I say I believe. And here's the function and the, the outflow of my life. A work of faith. Okay? A faith that saves, listen, is a faith that works. We must understand that. Because a lot of people get the idea and the false thinking that, oh, I believe, but there's no outworking of that faith, and therefore, but it doesn't matter, I believe. But the Bible is talking about a faith that saves is a faith that works. James chapter 2. Mark it down. James chapter 2. Faith, if it has no works, is dead. Right? So, um, if faith is, is by itself, it is a dead faith. It is therefore not a saving faith. And you've been fooled. You've been fooled into thinking that that my faith is a saving faith when in actuality it's a dead faith. James says, um, there, you know, well, the demons believe. They believe. They have faith. But that doesn't make them right with God. So a, a work of faith ought to be happening in the true Christian's life. Now, I, I, I know... I know, I get, I get working in my mind saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I mess up. I mess up in my life. What gives? Well, yes, you mess up. And hey, oh, by the way, that's why we sing the song, I need thee every month. Oh, we could even shave it down. Um, I need thee every moment. That's what John 15 is telling us, to abide in Christ. Abide in Him. And you stop and dwell on that concept of abiding, and you realize it's, it's continual. It's supposed to be continual, right? And that's where our problem is, is that my abiding isn't continual. What's the deal? How come? I get attracted by the stuff of the world. I get drawn away by things that I want. Because really, that's the problem. It ends up being, it's what, I want this. I want this. I want, I want. And on it goes. And so the training and the discipline of the Bible, the instruction of the Bible needs to happen in our lives so that that kind of thing's not happening. But I'm submitting more and more to the will of God. Found in the Word of God. So work of faith. Okay, so it's it's for this, this the reason for this line of reasoning is to defend us, or to defend against any counterfeit stuff that goes on in the name of Christianity. Do you understand that the New Testament gives much um, uh, time and focus on false teaching, on counterfeit stuff? You studied the book of Galatians. 
Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And so it's, it's important, it's, it's, it's imperative for us as Christians to say, okay, I want to I be good at preaching the gospel to myself. I, I've said that before, I want to say it again. I want to be good at preaching the gospel to myself so that I'm drawing near to God. Okay? And when you struggle with issues in your life, you preach the gospel to yourself, and guess what? You start saying, hey, I can watch out for this now. I know I get tripped up by this vice or this sin or whatever it might be. And so I want to bring forth the refreshing Word of God to wash my mind through and through with the mercies of God. Okay. So Ephesians 2.10. Mark that reference down. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that the good works of faith, the good works are the result of that saving faith. They show the presence and the reality of Christ, of salvation. Okay? Letter B, the labor of love. The labor of love is, it's sacrificing. It's sacrificing. Love has always been labeled as the essence of what? The essence of true Christianity. The word labor is more about the effort put forth than the deed that's done. The uh, true love, true Christian love is about Jesus Christ. True Christian love is to love the Lord your God. Right? That's, that's what the Bible tells us. That's what Christianity is about. Loving the Lord first. Okay? Um, listen to these verses. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because... God is love. And so that is de- that, that defines... You, you want to define love? Look at the context of 1 John. It's not talking about a sentimental love. It's not talking about a warm, touchy-feely love. It's talking about a sacrificing, serving love. Here's the labor of love. Here's another reference. Just listen to this. First. First Corinthians 16, 22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Whoa, 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 whoa! Where did we get this heavy language? What's going on? If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Why? Because the essence of Christianity is to love Jesus. That's what your life ought to be about. Loving Jesus. I don't know how, how many years... I spent about loving other things more than Jesus. And, and growing up in, in, in my adult life in the church, right, you know, great worship service or, you know, a new way of doing the service order or, you know, whatever kind of newfangled thing. And there's been a lot of them, you know, thrown to the church. But they're not really helping us to love Jesus really much. That's what it's about. So our culture is really no different than previous ones in history regarding our understanding of love. We have a great tendency to think of and see love as a warm sentimentality. We describe it many times as falling in love. Leighton and Caitlin and 
Wait. No. You know, we talk about this with our young couples. And you know, it's fine to say they've fallen in love. You know, or, or I, I, I turned my eyes back in college days and the first sight of my wife, or my, my friend at that time, Noreen, is like, love at first sight. All those kind of things cause us to get swayed with the understanding of love being a touchy-feely thing. And the Bible is clear. Um, listen, real quickly, young people, as you, uh, you know, high school and all, uh, young college age, whatever, that young uh, point in life, you want to learn that, you know what, love is much, much more than touchy-feely, that uh, the goosebump thing. Love is really, in Christ's mind, is about giving, about sacrifice. And all too often, in our culture, it's about, what, do you, what will you give me? You give me the chills. You do this, that. You know what? Again, those things, that's fine. That's okay. But move on to maturity in it and understand what the labor of love is. Number, letter C, endurance of hope. It's sustaining. It's sustaining. And this is what helps that you, young believer, in getting through tough times, you, more mature believer, you've seen it. You have tough times. And what gets you through? I will hope in the Lord. He is my rock. He is my strength. I will trust Him. There's hope coming forth. And it's in, isn't it interesting? It's called the endurance. The endurance of hope. We have an endurance, couple of endurance runners right up front here. Eric and Katie, running marathon. That's an endurance run. Okay? I can't handle that. Can you? <laughs> but there's a great example of the life of the Christian. Keep running. Keep, keep your focus on Jesus. Keep going. It's an endurance run. So hope, the endurance of hope is a, it's a hope that perseveres. And it's in the anticipation of future glory and, and the things to come. That's why he uses it here. First Thessalonians, it will be about a holy walk in light of Christ's return. That's what First Thessalonians is about. So here's this, this uh, third pearl on a string. Faith, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the endurance of hope. Mark these references down. Titus 2, 11 through 13. First Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. It, there Peter says it's a living hope. It's not going to perish. It's undefiled. It won't fade away. Okay. So, and that is a text specifically applied to difficult, trying times in the life of the believer that Peter wrote to. If you were at the concert last night, you heard a little bit of the flavor of some of the things that they were talking about, some of the difficulties that they face as a group. You know what? It's, everyone can share some of that kind of thing. There's difficulty that you're facing. And here we have Jesus who rose up from the grave and He is our living hope. Okay. So that word steadfastness means to abide and remain under. Okay, It's like uh, back in, in Minnesota when you have the tornadoes 
and you hear the, the tornado siren go off and you go down to the basement and you stay there, abide there until the storm passes over. And that's the idea of remaining under that word steadfastness. It's steadfastness of hope. Stay there, wait and see what God will do through this trial that you're having. So, we come to the end of this little section in your outline. Okay? The authentic commission from God. A work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope. And here's the key. The key is He is the object of these things. Faith, love, and hope. He's the object to them. That's what the very language in the Greek is pointing to. A faith in, a love in, a hope in Jesus Christ. See, that this whole thing can be counterfeited, just like all sorts of other things can be counterfeited. People can say, well, I, you know, I have a love, I have a hope. But the question is, who's the object of it? What is the object? And so the key here is it's all about Jesus Christ. That's the way the, the verse lays it out for us. Constant, look at verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Listen, as we finish this section, okay, under number 2 in your outline, this is what identifies you as a Christian. This is what identifies you. And here's the mark of your life. Is your faith working? No, it's not safe. It's not. You're, if you're a Christian, you're already saved. You're already His child. But is that faith working itself out? Is there a response of love? Yeah, it is. It's a labor of love. Because why? It's sacrifice. It's serving others. And then is there a sustaining hope that carries you through when difficult times come? These folks in Thessalonica faced difficult times. And they had, they demonstrated, they demonstrated these things. So, this is what identifies us as children of God, as Christ followers. This is, as we say, it's the Christian's birthmark. Signifying genuine relationship with Christ. So is there a working faith? Is there the motive of love behind what you do? And is there the hope that endures? And they all work in concert with each other. Now, we go to point number three. Authentic certification. Now we get into it. It's really certified. Here's the certification of this being authentic. And look at what it is. Look, look at your Bible, verse 4 and 5. Follow along. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So, here's the cause behind it all. Here's the cause. 
or the reason. Here's the reason for changed lives. Now, we can't escape it. Some of us maybe say, well, I just don't go down this route, uh, this road of, of consideration. But you know what we're going to talk about? Is the elect. The elect. It's God's choosing. You see it right there in verse 4. Knowing brethren, beloved by God, His, what? His choice of you. So, Letter A is about his choosing. His choosing. Notice the word know. Knowing. There's a confidence here. And that's good. It's, it's like, here's assurance in it. Knowing his choice of you. This phrase reveals that salvation is not initiated by man. It was initiated by God. What's the big deal to that? Well, how many people have you heard of in your past who said, I... I came to faith in Jesus. I, I trusted Him. All, all that. And yes, that's true. And we're going to talk about that in this uh, portion of this message here. Salvation did not begin with man. Salvation is ours because God was pleased to give it. Okay? It's, you say, well, but I, I chose. I chose salvation because I knew I was a sinner. And so I, I chose that. Well, that's, we understand that. And there's reason why we, we understand that uh, kind of description. But God brought it about. He first loved us. Okay? Now, let's be reminded of the necessity of election. Listen to these verses and write, write these references down. John chapter 1, verse 11. John chapter 1, verse 11 says, He came to His own and His own... Received him not. John chapter 3, verse 19 says, Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Okay? Uh, John chapter 5, verse 40, Jesus said to the people, You refuse to come to me that you may have life. You refuse. And in it all, I'm, I'm hearing in the back of my mind, but, but, I, but, 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 but I didn't. I didn't refuse. I, I wanted to come to you, Lord. What it's getting at is this. Why, why do we read these verses? Why would we uh, recite this verse? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. How often I would have gathered you unto myself as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. This is a very difficult subject. It might have been that I, uh, in saying elect, that some of you in your minds just turn the switch off and, and kind of shut down. My, my reason for bringing it up, did I put it in the Bible? Did somebody else put it in the Bible? Was it somebody's idea and concoction? Or was it God's idea? It's, listen, it's God's idea. God has it in His Word. And it's not just in this passage, it's in numerous passages that He has His people. He's chosen His people. And we've got to try and do our best to think through this. Also, if you're taking notes, mark down Romans chapter 1. 
here's more reason behind why there's the need of election. Now, in all of this, does that mean um, we have no will? We have a free will, and so too did the people back in Jesus' time. Why? They chose to take Jesus and arrest Him, beat Him, mock Him, nail Him to the cross, and crucify Him. They had a choice in doing that. And they, they chose to do it. Judas chose to betray Him. And then out of guilt, went and killed himself. And so, they had the ability, the strength, the freedom to do that. And yes, now we we read about it in the Bible and say, oh, it's all ordained of God because Jesus had to die on the cross, right? So, do you see how we're dealing with stuff that's that's hard for our minds to comprehend? Here's, on one hand, God's He ordained it from the foundations of the earth that Jesus would come and die on the cross. And yet, here's the, the whole issue of man's free will. They just, they joined in on the party of crucifying our Savior. So, I want to have you consider some other thoughts on election. Here's that election is not a teaching that you or I understand when we first were saved. When you first got saved, you remember? Did you all of a sudden come up with the idea that, oh, I understand election. I'm a new Christian and I get it. No, you didn't. And you still don't get it. I still don't get it. You know, stop and think of this. Some of you students um, get into honors uh, trigonometry or something and you've never taken a math class. How do you go about doing that? You don't. Because why? You've got to start with what? You've got to start with basic math, basic arithmetic to build up to algebra, to build up to trigonometry or whatever. You know, on it goes. And so, so too with this. Where does the sinner start in, in this whole realm? Luke 18 tells us of the publican. He's crying out. What? Oh, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's where we start. And there was a, here's a, a free will, so to speak. He recognizes his sin and he calls out for mercy. Follow with me here. Here's, notice what the Bible does not say. This is some interesting things here. Okay? From the Old Testament. Ho! Everyone that is elect, come to the waters. It doesn't say that. It says what? Ho! Everyone that thirsts, come to the waters and drink freely. Right? The Bible does not say, does not say, come unto me, all you who are elect, and I will give you rest. What does it say? Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible does not say, he that is elect has eternal life. No, it says, he that believes has eternal life. Whoever is elect and calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No, it says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's a, an admonishment 
an exhortation, a calling out to your will, your response to be saved. Okay? And lock this in now. Lock this in your mind. Election does not deliver you from your responsibility to believe on Christ. See, when we start talking about with people about election, we say, oh, but then, you know, it's like people figure that they don't have to do anything. But election, acknowledging it as truth, does not relieve you, deliver you from your responsibility, number one, to believe in Christ, and number two, your responsibility as a Christian to walk in holiness and obedience to God's Word. What is our business then? Hang with me. What is our business? Mark down this reference, John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. The people came and then asked Jesus, so what must we do to be doing the works of God? What does Jesus answer? This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Your response then is one of, here's faith, I'm responding. And a lot of times we think, oh, the term election just means, well, I didn't have any choice. I was just kind of yanked out. And here I am. See, it's, it's multi-layered in this thing. You know, there's, there's, you know, different aspects to it. Your responsibility, if you are here and you're saying, no, I'm, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. Well, your responsibility is to respond to Jesus Christ in faith. That's your responsibility. Respond to Him. Now, if you're already a, a believer in Jesus Christ and you know that and you sense... Yes, He's my Lord. Then you respond with... You continue responding in faith. But now you say, and now I want to learn to love Him more. And I want to worship Him. There's the response of of the believer. No one ever arrived at faith in Christ by... Uh, having an understanding of election. But what happens? After a while, you realize, you, you start putting pieces together and you start reckoning, oh, wow, God, God put this together to draw me to Himself. God put this together to make me say, yes, I need Jesus. And so... We learn more of these great riches. Election is a doctrine in the Bible that we must understand and welcome. And, and I, I, you know, I can't get my mind totally around it. Neither can you. But the more, listen, the more these great, uh, the more we learn of these great riches, it's because of we spend more time, and more time, with Jesus. So that's all under letter A of number three, his choosing. And I realize, and and many of you realize too, there's lots more to this little subpoint 3A, his choosing. Okay? Mark down Ephesians 1, verse 4. And mark down this reference, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Those are both verses that talk about 
He chose you from before the foundation of the world. If you have other questions about this, please see Pastor Brennan, not me. No, No, really, if you do have questions, I I would like to talk to you about it. It's not that, again, it's not a kind of thing that we can just wrap our brains around. But here it is in the text, and I don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss it. He chose you, Christian, he chose you before the foundation of the world. At that point of your professing Him as Savior, you didn't see that. You didn't wrap your mind around. You you just, here, yeah, I, I repent of my sins and I believe in Jesus, what He did for me. So, why is this mentioned? Here's one offering of why this is mentioned in the Scriptures. Why do they bring up election? You know, here's a, here's a group of believers in Thessalonica who maybe needed some comfort and certainty for their tossed up and turned up lives. They needed comfort and certainty from here's what God has done. So salvation is all of His grace. It's all of God. And it's all the time that we have this. Letter B then moves on to the, the next passage here in verse 5. Letter B is his conducting. His choosing, his conducting. It's his doing. It was not man-centered or, or brought about by man. Man-generated. But here's how it was generated. By the agencies of his word. The agency of his word. You see that? For our gospel did not come to you in word only. The gospel needs to be highlighted. But it doesn't come in, in just by way of word only. Just by, here's a, here's reading something. Here's, here's a message of some sort. It comes with the word, but also with what? What does the rest of the verse say? With power, also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we know about His Word being uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And that's how the Word of God is typically pictured, is a sword. Okay? And the sword in, in Revelation 19 is coming right out of where? Christ's mouth. Okay? The sharpness of His Word. Then, it tells us of His power. What is that about? It also, in verse 5, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. Here's the power to free us from sin's bondage. To deliver us. To change us. To transform us into Christ-likeness. And here's the job of the Holy Spirit. To bring that power about. And John 16 Mark the reference down, John 16, verses 8 through 11. Say, here's the Holy Spirit. He comes to bring conviction of three things. Sin, the the convicting power of sin. What is that like? Where you want to, like, uh, we were talking with the men uh, yesterday at second breakfast, and Henry gave his testimony, and it's like, 
uh, one of the guys responded like, you, you want to get out of the room as fast as you can because you're falling under conviction of sin when you hear the gospel message, when you hear the, the message of Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit of God is working on your heart, yeah, it's like the, 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 the first response, let me out of here. Because I experienced that back in 1974. I experienced that. I heard the messages like, you just want to disappear. You want to get out of there. There's convicting work going on. Conviction of sin. Then conviction of righteousness. Conviction of righteousness. John chapter 16 says it's, it's convicting you of righteousness. What's that mean? Pointing out and convincing you that Jesus is the answer. Righteousness. Convicting you of righteousness. And then it says convicting you of judgment. You know what happens when you die? The judgment. Here comes the judgment. Okay? Hebrews chapter 9. And the judgment will come about. And what will happen to you? What will happen? And look back at First Thessalonians, and we'll wrap it up here. What happens next? In verse 5 it says, um, with full conviction. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, brings about conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, conviction of judgment. And then it says, and with full conviction. So that it, you are saying, yeah, I have a certainty about these things. Because of what? My good reading skills? My intelligence? No, because of the work. Listen, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to reveal these things to you. So, that's what we want to understand for this section here. Okay? Authentic connection in God. Verse 1. Authentic commission from God with the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. And then that it's all connected in Jesus as the object of those three virtues. And then the authentic certification. When the Bible says that you are elect, that you are chosen from before the foundation of the world, glory in that. Glory in that because that's the work of Christ. And don't worry about, you know, how things happened when you were first saved. Just understand, here's what the Bible teaches me about salvation. That's what we need. And so, we will continue on in our study next week, moving on to the last half of chapter 1. And what we need to do as we go today, would you please just ask God to help shine His light in your heart to examine yourself? Is your faith in the right object in Jesus Christ? Um, as you express and demonstrate love, what's the motive behind that? What's the real motive behind your love? Is this based on the effort to be a good person to show that I'm going to I'll show God and God will pat me on the back and give me more points 
No. It's, it's an outflow of what He's already done in your life. And you know, as we do this more and more, your world will be turned upside down like it was when we read in Acts chapter 17 of the, the, the people there in Thessalonica saying, here come these guys and they, they've turned the world upside down. I want to encourage us to join together, to stand together and see our world turned upside down for Jesus Christ. Not just for being a nice church, being a, oh, good, good people. You know what? Everyone wants to do that and that makes no difference then. What makes a difference is when Jesus Christ is, is supreme, when Jesus Christ is magnified, when Jesus Christ and His grace is made much of so that we might be a people known for having spent time with Jesus. So, it's not a stretch to say, hey, let's turn our world upside down. It's not a stretch. And I hope that you'll... Uh, Rejoice in what God has done in your life. If you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm here to talk to you about that. Others are here. You know of other people in this room that you can talk to about coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We want to encourage that to be the case so that you'll be right with God. So if you'd like to, please see me afterwards. Let's talk about it. And let's do business with God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we bow before you and give you thanks. Thank you for our time here, Lord, in your word. You've given us clear instruction. Lord, we want to be a people that have a work of faith. That's flowing out of love for you. And that handles all the difficulties uh, with a response of hope. What a great God you are. And your work is good. And help us to submit to that, Lord. Help us to trust you today as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.